Hello, and welcome back to The Director's Cut, brought to you by the Directors Guild of America, where each episode we bring you a fresh and insightful interview with one of the film industry's top directors, conducted by one of their peers. Remember to subscribe to our podcast on Google Play Music, iTunes, Stitcher, or on our SoundCloud page at soundcloud.com slash the director's cut. And if you're enjoying the director's cut, please take a moment to like, share, or comment. We love hearing your feedback. This episode takes us behind the scenes of director Reginald Hudlin's new film, Marshall. The film tells the story of a young Thurgood Marshall as he faces one of his greatest challenges as a lawyer for the NAACP, defending a black chauffeur accused of assault and attempted murder by a white socialite. Working alongside a local Jewish lawyer on his first criminal case, Marshall must build a defense while contending with the racist and anti-Semitic views of conservative Connecticut residents. In addition to Marshall, Mr. Hudlin's many directorial credits include the feature films Why Should White Guys Have All the Fun, The Reginald Lewis Story, The Ladies' Man, The Great White Hype, Serving Sarah, and Boomerang, as well as episodes of television series such as Bones, Modern Family, The Office, The Bernie Mac Show, and Everybody Hates Chris. Following a recent screening of the film at the DGA Theater in Los Angeles, Mr. Hudlin spoke with director Jeff Bird about filming Marshall. During their conversation, Mr. Hudlin discusses how he convinced star Chadwick Boseman to take on the role, the challenge of avoiding the cliché trappings of the medicine movie, and the experience of shooting his first indie film after working within the studio system for so long. What's up? Okay, you got, got a nice it. little crowd here. Yes. Hey, Reg! Reg, that was, that, was, that was amazing. That was amazing. Reg and I go back, way, we go way back. <laughs> and this was an honor for me to be able to come up here and talk with you about this film, number one. But also, I'm going to make it more than just about this film. Mm -hmm. I, want, I want, you know, House Party to hear. Yes. This is amazing. The, the, <laughs> the, the, the whole full arc, the maturation of young Reggie Hudland mm -hmm. to... Marshall Reginald Hudlin and Oscar producer and you know partner with you know everybody from uh, uh, freaking Quentin Tarantino to I mean just give me a little bit of the the arc of you and how what got you to this place of Marshall because obviously looking back on your films obviously your films have always made an impact in you know the African American community and then reverberated out and you know, into the rest of the world. Mm -hmm. But it, it, to get to this place where you've done such a politically motivated and, a, and just a, something that's gonna be studied probably in schools 10, 15 years from now uh, on this man's life, you know, I just, how that gets there from the, some of the commercial fare that you've done, that still made an impact. Right. Um, okay. No, I mean, I, I guess for me, um, uh, it's all kind of the same thing, mm -hmm. although none of it looks alike. Right. I mean, first of all, for me, it's just uh, there's a 12 year old that says, "Ooh, that looks like fun. And I, I feel like I have to service the 12 year old first. Um, and the 12 year old likes hip hop music and the 12 year old also admires Thurgood Marshall. So it's all the. I mean, you know, this is as much a desire for my childhood as doing House Party or Boomerang is um, or 
producing the Oscars or, you know, doing the boondocks. You know, it's just all like, I mean, I just feel like that's what got me here in the first place. So I have to maintain that impulse. And, and for me, uh, it's all about storytelling that hopefully will make a difference. Like when I made House Party, one of the agenda items was, well, let's, Let's make a movie about safe sex that doesn't look like safe sex. Mm-hmm. So, you know, two-thirds of the movie, he finally gets the girl, and they're alone in a bedroom, and his condom breaks, and he doesn't have sex with her. And, you know, that's a very sneaky way of getting it in, right? There's all this other stuff, so it, just ha- it happens to happen, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and then later, when I got an award from this uh, health organization, for promoting safe sex, I was like, well, I mean, come on. I didn't, <laughs> I mean, I put it in there, but they were like, no, like I work in a clinic in New Jersey. Kids come in and when I meet with them, they reference your film. So those things actually make a difference. I was like, oh, really? So it was really encouraging. So I just thought, okay, we're not just shooting an arrow into the air. It actually makes a difference. So what you don't want to do is be preachy, you know, you don't want to talk down to people. You want to speak as a peer. And that's the challenge of a movie like this, right? Because it's very easy to become a medicine movie. And you're making a movie about a great man. And you're just basically polishing the pedestal. And what I want to do is take him off the pedestal and make him like a, a dude, you know? Because he was a dude. <laughs> and that way, when we see how human he is we can appreciate his superpowers better. And that's what's amazing about this. And that's what, I mean, with the, the arc of what I want to talk to you about, I'm glad you brought this back around to Marshall because you did make him a man, you made him a dude, you made him, you know, somebody I can relate to. Because, you know, growing up, we, we learned about Thurgood Marshall in school, and, or at least we used to. I don't know what we learn now. But we used to, and he seemed like such a paragon. Mm-hmm. and Which is great, but also you turned him into a human a uh, person who drank bourbon, who could fight with the best of them. I mean, just discuss a little bit of, you know, how you how you came about coming up with this version of how, as a director, you wanted to show Thurgood Marshall. Because some of the shots in there were not biopic shots. There was, there was action shots in there. There was film noir in there. Mm-hmm. All that stuff you mixed in here. How, how did you come up with the whole concept of that? I mean, w- when the script came to me, uh, I thought it was really bold in a really good way because... Uh, it was a courtroom thriller that happened to feature the greatest lawyer in American history, which I thought was the safe way to go, weirdly enough, Mm -hmm. because I think genre saves you from pretentiousness. Mm -hmm. Like, you have to, like, look, this has to work if this guy wasn't Thurgood Marshall. Is it still a good movie? So I liked that. I liked that it was a courtroom thriller. At the same time, it was kind of a Western because he's like Shane, he comes to town, he dispenses, I mean, his mm-hmm. Marshall was the name, right? Mm-hmm. And then he rides to the next town, and everybody's like, come back, uh, I gotta go, there's another crisis. And there's also a buddy cop movie in there too, you know, between him and Sam Friedman. So I just liked, I mean, as we were shaping the material, like, well look, here's all these things that are there historically. Let's do all that, and by doing all that and avoiding the cases that we know the outcome of, mm-hmm. right? Instead, let's do a case 
where we don't know the outcome, we don't know if he's innocent or guilty, we don't know whether the jury cares if he's innocent or guilty, so now the audience is kind of leaning in. Uh, so I thought, well, that's just, and it was a case that felt very relevant to today. I mean, I definitely feel like this could, I mean, from the tabloid nature of it uh, to all of it felt very now. So I just thought, oh, this is, this is a great way of telling this man's story that will feel fresh. And kudos, you accomplished that. Um, let's talk cast for a minute. Mm -hmm. You know, let's talk Chadwick. Let's, you know, Chadwick mm -hmm. Boseman, the force that, that is him. Mm -hmm. And um, the whole concept, and for those of you who don't know um, Thurgood Marshall or haven't looked him up, you should. You should. Um, just the whole concept of the fact of, it's funny because I, I, I when I started out my career, as you know, I worked with Spike Lee and, mm -hmm. you know, I worked on one of the films I was a PA on was, was Malcolm X and Denzel looks nothing like Malcolm, but he embodied Malcolm X, whereas you have a similar situation here with Chadwick and he embodies Thurgood Marshall. Can, can you discuss a little bit as to why? Sure. I mean, it started where you just go, okay, well, who can literally do this, right? Who can uh, convey all the aspects of Thurgood Marshall? And I had met Chadwick a little earlier when he got cast as the Black Panther because I wrote the Black Panther comic book for many years. So we just kind of clicked about that and we just kind of really vibed on each other and we wanted to find a way to work together. Um, so when I got this script, I was like, well, we kind of have to call this guy. Um, and Chadwick made it clear he did not want to do the part. <laughs> wow. um, he did not want to do another historical character. He had done Jackie Robinson, he had yeah. done James Brown, he didn't want to be the uh, the biopic guy. Mm. Um, so I said, well, just read it. And which he did, and he was like, oh, it's good. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, it's just so rare you get us. I mean, that's how I feel. Like, mm. once you read it, you go, oh, we kind of have to play this through a little bit. So then we had a meeting about it, and then we got to the other issue for him, which was, I don't look like Thurgood Marshall, and what would the, my 18-year-old self say if I watched this movie? You know, mm. would, you know, uh, would the you know, college freshman Chadwick Boseman be mad at a screening at Howard, right? Interesting. And so we talked about it, and I said, look, I totally get that, and if we were doing a cradle-to-grave movie, Yes, I think it would be an issue. But looking at this particular case, there's nothing that would change in this story if you were light-skinned and had a different mm. texture hair. I mean, like, no one in Connecticut would care, <laughs> right? True. So he said, okay, I, I get that. Uh, but then to be sure, I contacted the Marshall family. And I asked them, look, well, we think about casting this guy. How do you feel about it? And they wrote a very nice letter back, which we shared with Chadwick, uh, which they wanted him to play the role. Uh, and they said, if their father heard that the best person for the job wasn't going to get it because he was too dark, he would be furious. Mm, mm, mm. Uh, so I shared that with Chadwick, and he was like, <laughs> well, okay, let's go to work. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Beautiful. Yeah. Uh, and you know, and and the, and the other part of it was, a he had never played a character like this. Mm -hmm. I mean, the fact is, you could say yes, they're all historical, but the fact is, a guy who is, you know, that verbal, that mm -hmm. you know, rambunctious, mm -hmm. 
uh, you know, the, these he'd never gone there on on, on in, in a film before. And also, the challenge of, I mean, this movie sort of the equivalent of, okay, you're Muhammad Ali, but you're going to get in the ring with your hands tied behind your back, <laughs> right? So when you say you're Thurgood Marshall, but you can't speak in the courtroom, mm-hmm. that's an incredible challenge for a lawyer and for an actor. So for him to figure out how to be present and dominant under those circumstances uh, was a challenge that he was very much up for. That's an amazing story. And then, you know, since we're on cast, let's stay with the rest of them. You, you, this is an amazing cast right here. This is an amazing cast of, uh, of actors that you got together. I mean, did they fall in line, like, much like Chadwick with the script? Or was it you? Or was it him? Was it like, oh, Chadwick's doing it, I'll do it? I mean, how did you put all these entities in one film? Well, well certainly Chadwick is an actor that actors want to work with. Mm-hmm. So that's important. Um, a movie about Thurgood Marshall, you know, and everything he represents was certainly attractive to people. This particular script was intriguing to people. So it was kind of, uh, and then I would talk to them about what my intentions were, and I think, so they overall had a comfort level, like, oh, we're doing the right thing. Because mm-hmm. uh, this kind of movie, as you know, everyone takes a haircut when you do a movie like this. Uh, so everyone's there because they want to be. Uh, and, w- and that was great. I mean, cast and crew. So everyone's there for the right reasons, and everyone's bringing their A-game, and it showed. I mean, we were lucky enough that we had a week of rehearsal, which most movies don't have, right? Mm-hmm. So just like the first three days was just me, Chadwick, and uh, Josh Gad. Mm-hmm. And they're both amazing actors. And I knew Josh, while known for comedy, had great dramatic chops, and I wanted to be the person to show that other side of him. Mm. So just working with them for three days was incredible. And then as the days went on, other actors would join. Mm. So we would have, you know, so we had this week. And then on Saturdays, we would go through the week's work, you know, with that cast. Mm. So we were just really tight. Uh, and then Sunday I would spend with my DP, Tom Siegel, who's mm. amazing. Who, great yeah, I mean, he'd done all the X-Men movies. And he goes, no, 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 I'm going to. I'm going to do a real superhero this time. I want to do... So, I mean, we had a 140-page script that we shot in 30 days, um, which was wow. just all of... Which, why, you know, we had those rehearsals and we had that, you know, intense time with Tom. So when we got on set, we're not guessing. You know what we're doing. Pop, 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 mm-hmm. let's go. I mean, it, it became very theatrical in some ways. I mean, like when we were shooting in the courtroom... One day we had a seven-page courtroom scene, uh, and I said, hey, guys, I talked with Tom. We're going to use a combination of crane and Steadicam. We're going to shoot the bulk of the scene continuously, like two scenes together, all seven pages. Are you ready? And they're like, we are ready. And I went to the background guys, and I said, look, you're getting ready to see as good a piece of theater as you're going to see anywhere. And they killed it. That's amazing. That's amazing. It, 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 don't leave out the periodness of it all. So you shot a 140-page script in 30 days. Uh, that is a period piece. So let's discuss that for a second in regards to, you know, wardrobe and, you know, all that you guys had to do with cars and everything to keep it, period. And where'd you guys, where'd you shoot this? We had Buffalo, which I really can't recommend strongly enough. Uh, Buff, I mean, we looked at every place where people shoot period movies. So you looked at Cincinnati, you looked at Pittsburgh, you looked at all the kind of go-to locations. And Buffalo is a beautiful city. Uh, and you have to remember at the turn of the last century, it's one of the biggest cities in America mm. between shipping and steel. 
Um, and when it all kind of went south, it went so quickly, they didn't tear everything down. So they still had all this spectacular architecture. I mean, everything you see in the movie is an actual location. You know, there's really? nothing, there's nothing built. built. So, I mean, on one hand, you know, again, we've got to move to a different location a lot, you know, except for the courtroom. We were there for two weeks. But you had this incredible architecture. I mean, that courtroom was a decommissioned federal courthouse that was just sitting there empty. And they had everything. I mean, the ceilings and all that. That that was a. We did. I mean, not. I mean, they still had the Rolodexes on the desk. I mean, like everything just walked out of the building. Mm. So we we're like, oh, this is exquisite. Uh, the train station is an is it's closed, but the same architect who built Grand Central Station also designed that station in Buffalo. Wow. So again, you just had this incredibly rich architectural. Uh, bounty that has not been overshot. It's not Toronto. It's not the usual go-to. So it was a great place to shoot. The city rolled out the red carpet. I mean, it, it was a, it was fantastic. And the, and then the, the people were great. And the best juice bar I think ever. <laughs> I mean, how can Buffalo beat L.A. for you know juice fruit juice? It's crazy. Um, so loved buffalo then for costumes two words ruth carter carter ruth carter is spectacular she's amazing and she was i mean you know again we were friends forever Mm -hmm. right but we never got a chance to work together this is your first time working yes it's crazy so it was great and there was just that comfort and we would just kick it and i would again my thing is if you're making a movie you got to practice telling it right so you know so I would talk to Ruth not just about costume stuff, but about everything. And, you know, she's just smart. Uh, so it was just great. I mean, and, and every department was like that. That's how I feel. Like, you've got smart people around you. Like, just, like, talk to everybody. Because they're all, everyone's making a movie, right? Like, Wardrobe's making a movie and, the you know, DP's making a movie. So let's hear what everyone's movie is and make sure we're all making the same movie. Amazing. Oh wow! I, so I didn't even know that. I thought I thought some of that stuff was in was interiors, or I mean, was built, or some of that stuff was even here. Mm-mm. So uh, kudos, kudos. Okay, so with, with that in mind, also it's like so. Then you you crafted this story. You, you you're shooting there, in 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 Buffalo, and at, at, you know uh, you have this great cast. Real quick, real quick, real quick question about the cast one more time. Kate Hudson. Yeah. The, she did a really good job. She did, did she have any reservations about being hated at the end or being a hated human <laughs> afterwards? I mean, it's, it's interesting only because of the fact that. Sure. I mean, it was a couple of, I mean, it's funny. I mean, a lot of this movie is just kind of random stuff. So mm-hmm. I was backstage after the D'Angelo concert, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, oh, D'Angelo's in here. So I walked in, but it was the wrong room, right? So I walk in, and it's Kate Hudson and Rashida Jones, right? Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, hi. And I knew Rashida, and I got introduced to Kate, and I'm talking with her. And you know that kind of just charming, wonderful person you see in the movies? Mm-hmm. That's who Kate Hudson is. So we're just talking. I'm like, wow, she's great. And I thought, wow, even though she's never done anything like this, she would be great because we love Kate Hudson. And, mm-hmm. and if we hear that she's assaulted, we want to protect her. Mm-hmm. Right. So I just thought, wow, she would be a great partner. So unfortunately, Paula Wagner had a relationship with her. So we went up to her and we sat down and talked about it. And she was very honest. I mean, she says, look, this person, I can't relate to her at all. I mean, she's a morally repugnant, mm-hmm. awful, awful person. <laughs> and, you know, but she also knew, like, 
well, if a part scares you, you should take it. So we really talked about all the different layers of her as a character. And we talked about, you know, from Scottsboro Boys to uh, Emmett Till to Susan Smith, the woman who drowned her kids and said a black guy did it, you know. And so we just had a really straightforward conversation about it. And she felt comfortable enough with me that she was down to do it. And, you know, the thing that I really admire about her performance, besides just a fantastic performance, um, piece of acting, particularly in that courtroom. It was a really physical role. And because of this short schedule, I mean, she arrived and like, hey, you know, this is, you know, Sterling Brown. He's going to rape you today. And, oh, you know, and we just had to just go for it. And she was so, I mean, we go, yeah, she's Goldie Hawn's daughter. She's also Kurt Russell's daughter. Mm -hmm. So when it's like, okay, now you're going to jump into a lake. Yeah. And we're We've tested the lake, and we it's okay. <laughs> it's a lake. I don't know what's in there. <laughs> and um, so I was, she was talking with my AD, and uh, she, she wades out in the water, and apparently it was very squishy. You know, it was, it was nasty. Um, so she turned to my AD and said, so if I drink some of this water, what do you think the worst could happen? And he goes, probably like diarrhea and vomiting. And she goes, yeah, that's what I thought. And then dove under. So, I mean, I really respect she was just so hearty and down. She was fantastic. That is bold. Bold. That is bold of her. Okay, mm -hmm. real, real, real quick, one more, one more quick casting thing. Mm -hmm. Cromwell. Yes. You know, that did see, I mean, he's just an amazing human. I mean, I just saw something on him as on CNN, and he chained himself to something. Yeah. And, I mean, you know, where he was protesting. And like, how was that to, to, to work with him in this? And was he, was he in protest mode in his head for this? Or, you right. Know? Well, I had worked with Jay. Well, I mean, one of the main reasons I got this job was um, working with Stephen Bochco. Mm -hmm. uh, we had met many years ago, and I, he had really kind of taught me television. You know, he's a real mentor to me personally and professionally. And I was doing one of his courtroom shows, and uh, Cromwell was in the cast. And I remember my last day of prep, I was walking around the set, and in the darkened courtroom set, Cromwell was there. And the next day, he had this two-page monologue. It was just literally just a column of words, right? Um, so he was in there by himself, working it through. So the next morning, 7 a.m., he's there. He, of course, has the entire... Dense monologue of dense legal language completely worked through. He's figured out his blocking and he's just killing it. And you can feel the rest of the cast go, oh, <laughs> the bar is set. Okay, I gotta follow that guy. Literally, I saw actors' hands shaking in terror that they were gonna have to be opposite him. And then I saw Cromwell take these young actors and work with them and give them the confidence to do their part. And I just thought, this is, an, like you say, an amazing human being. Uh, then on the last day of shooting, literally, he's, get, he's, he's in the car, get, he's getting ready to pull off, and he goes, you know, I got to tell you about the time I was working with the Black Panthers. I'm like, now you mentioned it? <laughs> so I was like, I have to work with James Cromwell again. So we cast him, uh, and then he played that same, what I call a metronome thing. I mean, he was the judge for real. And I remember talking to Chadwick, like, did you see what Krabba was doing? I mean, like, they were, they treated him as the judge. And they were like, okay, we have to 
get to where he's at. Mm -hmm. And it was a very political set. Um, we had Dan Stevens from the UK, who was very politically active, and he was on the phone because the Brexit vote was coming down. And I was like, man, that'll never happen. That's <laughs> crazy. Why would people vote for that? Um, so, uh, so, and, you know, Josh and I were very political, and, but Cromwell, absolutely the most far left of any of us. Uh, and we loved it. We loved having him as sort of a, 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 a inspiration for all of us. Amazing cast, amazing cast. So now, so you're making the film, mm -hmm. and you know, going now totally backwards. How do you get a film like this made? Like what? Like I, I my, my, you know, I, I saw it. I remember seeing and hearing about you doing it. And I was like, oh my god, that's great. He got he got Thurgood Marshall made. Wow, I wonder how he got that made. How, who financed it? How did all that yeah. come together? Yeah, I mean, complete miracle. I mean, if you had asked me five years ago, oh. Can you make a theatrical motion picture about Thurgood Marshall? I go, no, no way, impossible. I mean, when I first started making movies, uh, the idea of doing any black historical stuff was just out, right? But fortunately, in the kind of cycle of history, now there's a moment where you can get these kind of movies made. That said, uh, no American studio would finance a movie about this great American hero. Um, we got turned down. That, uh, uh, this cat, or whatever, whatever. So, uh, weirdly enough, uh, the script ended up at a Chinese company. Uh, and there was a bunch of ladies who were the translators for the company. Mm -hmm. And they all read the script and loved it. And they were all sitting around the room gossiping about it. And the owner of the company was like, what are you ladies talking about? And they were like, this script, Marshall, it's really good. So he goes, well, I want to read it. And the American consultant was like, uh... It's a really good script, but it's not what you're looking for. This is not the kind of movie you say you guys want to make. And say, yeah, but I want to read it anyway. So he read it and he loved it. And he goes, well, why shouldn't we make this movie? This is a good movie. So he made it. I mean, we had this meeting. Uh, you know, Peter, he didn't speak English. So I would talk and then the translator would, and then he would talk and, uh, and then we shook hands. Then I walked away, and I'm like, what just happened? I have no idea what just happened. <laughs> and then they said yes, and then the money was in the bank, and that was it. It was a completely painless, wonderful experience. That's amazing. That, that is amazing. That gives a lot of us hope. I think yeah, because I mean, yeah, <laughs> it was ridiculous. But, I mean, uh, so uh, it's just one of those things where, I mean, my entire career, I've been told the same thing, that... Black films have no value internationally, mm -hmm. and particularly in this Pacific Rim. They have no mm -hmm. interest in you and your life. Mm. And I keep going, but really? I mean, I like Kurosawa. He wasn't thinking about me. I mean, I think if you mm -hmm. tell a good story, you know, it kind of works. Mm -hmm. And uh, so the fact that the financing came from there, I mean, the moral of the story is nobody knows nothing. Yep. Yep. Mm -hmm. And I know everyone says, yes, no one knows nothing except for me. <laughs> I basically think, no, really, no one would have predicted that that would be the source of the financing. Uh, and then Open Road stepped in because it's like, okay, you've got financing, you've got a cast, we like this script. So they picked it up for distribution. So it was actually after, it's the first independent movie I'd done in my whole career. I've actually wow. been doing studio movies from the very beginning. Wow, that's right, because uh, House Party was New Line. Yeah. Wow. So it was, it was amazing. I mean, it's kind of, 
in some ways the better way because it's like I work within the system of all those years. So now to have no training wheels, no supervision, we just made the movie, mm. right? It was a really handmade movie and we just made every decision ourselves. And it was great because we knew the rules. We knew when we should break them. We knew when we should, you know, color within the lines. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that was it. Wow, I did not know that. That's phenomenal. Congratulations on that. Thank you. So with that said, also, you know, going from back to production for a minute, um, your team, let's say your your AD team, like mm -hmm. how did that all, how did that, that all, because you were, you know, forming your, your team with your right. costumes and everything, how did your AD team fall in your well, life? Well, it was, it was really interesting because, uh, you know, there's a couple of DPs I really love to use, like Don Sparks, mm -hmm. you know, uh, and they were all working. So I was like, wow, everyone I'm used to working with is not available. You know what? I, uh, but I do a lot of television, and, you know, there was an AD I really loved. You know, he was just really great. I was like, well, let's just bring him. I said, have you worked on features before? He's like, yeah. I was like, mm, that's true. Okay, it's true enough. Let's just go do it. And he was fantastic, you know, and to give someone an opportunity, you know, to, you know, so it was it was great. You know, you just want to have people around you who are good at a job and have their back. Right? Was he from TV? Was he out here in L.A.? Then you took him to, to Buffalo? He actually lives in Austin. But, yeah, uh, we had worked out here on a couple of shows and was great. So I was like, come on, let's go. Oh, okay. Well, that, that, that's that, you know, at least now yeah, you can feel that TV feature, you know, kind of a feeding one another because now everybody's like, oh, TV's taking over. But that's really good that you brought your AD from TV onto your feature. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, look, I mean, I think television is, is the dominant medium today, period. Mm -hmm. Forget movies. I mean, music, painting, <laughs> whatever art form. I mean, TV is just dominant, you know, music. TV is just dominant right now. Mm -hmm. um, so, I mean, sh shouldn't cry about it. It's just like, okay, let's pull up our socks. You know, <laughs> how do, you know, I mean... I mean, I think everyone in features is, is feeling the pressure, right? Because uh, people now with streaming, they have a choice to stay at home. It's like, mm -hmm. glad you guys are here. You could be home watching Stranger Things too. Mm -hmm. uh, maybe you watch it already. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I mean, so the thing is, how do we bring the originality that the audiences clearly want uh, and enough spectacle that, you know, that they won't wait to see it at home? Mm -hmm. So it's a really tough situation for us, but we just got to just start with a great story and just hope for the best. Mm -hmm. um, Ryan, real quick, I love that you added, you know, certain um, like cameos in there, but also it's, it was twofold. It was a cameo of the actual human, I mean, the actual historical figure, as well as like when you had you know, Chili playing Zora Neale Hurston. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that was that was interesting. I was like, oh, that's an interesting beat. And also the beauty of it is, it helped you to remember the era. They all, you know, they all were together in that era. Langston Hughes, everybody. Was was there a specific, you know, reason you had that scene in there? Yeah, I had to really fight for that scene. Because uh, they were like, well, why do you need it? I'm like, well, for a lot of reasons. One is, this is during the Harlem Renaissance. It's, it's just kind of this. And it's important for Langston because he's got, you know, he's living here in Sugar Hill in Harlem. It's this utopian moment. Like, literally, it's, it's, uh, he went to college with Langston Hughes and Cap Calloway. Amazing. You know, he gets, you know, he's a celebrity lawyer. He doesn't need to leave his beautiful wife, get on a train, and literally go to hell. Mm -hmm. 
<laughs> right? To a place where they will lynch you if you're walking around after dark. So he's not just a guy with his back against the wall. He's a guy making a choice. Mm -hmm. um, also, I just wanted to show a little bit of that world, which we've almost never seen on screen. And I thought, well, this one scene will hopefully make people go, well, I'd like to see a whole... I'm like, yes, that would be a fine idea. Mm -hmm. So, um, <laughs> and I mean, with Chile, it was interesting because I, I knew I wanted Jussie because we were just hanging out when I was doing the NAACP Image Awards. Mm -hmm. And I was like, God, he's so talented. He's such a great guy. And I said, well, hey, would you do me a favor? Would you do a cameo as Langston Hughes in my movie? And he just got quiet. And I was like, what? He goes, did you know my middle name was Langston? I go, no. Did you know I was named after Langston Hughes? No. Did you know I go around schools reciting Langston Hughes poetry? Wow. No. And then he said, okay, I'll do it, but you have to do a Langston Hughes movie next. I'm like, that's a deal. Exactly. I'll take that deal. Exactly. So he was in. And with, um, with Zora, she originally didn't have any lines. And again, I could have cast a local. I was like, Zora knew her like, we've got to convey the star power. So I just called in a favor. I said, hey, Chili, would you fly in and do this? She goes, Reggie, I don't even think about it. So she just literally hopped on a plane, boom, and there was nothing written. So I said, look, here's the story. You know this. You walked into the hot club. You see your friends in the VIP. There's a, someone there you don't like. You're going to go over there and fuck with him. She goes, got it. <laughs> and we just improved. So. Oh, great job, great job, and <laughs> and you know the ending, yeah. you know where you included, you know Trayvon's parents. I mean, I mean, speak about that for yeah. a second. S same thing. Uh, these are the last two people we're meeting in the movie, right? Mm -hmm. And again, I could cast local actors, and then I said, mm, it feels like a bigger moment than that. I thought, well, I can call some celebrity friends of mine to do a bit cameo, uh, like I had done earlier. And I actually threw some names past Ruth Carter. Uh, and she goes, oh, don't do that. <laughs> oh, everybody calls them. I'm like, those are the biggest stars. Ah. So I go back in my office. And I go, all right, she's right, she's right. Don't go shiny, go deep. So... Uh, I saw Chadwick and I said, what do you think if we call Trayvon Martin's parents and have them do it? And he got goosebumps. Yeah. And everyone got goosebumps. Like, that's the way to go. Mm -hmm. So fortunately, I had uh, Benjamin Crump's number. I had met him briefly. Mm -hmm. So I called him and I, I, he says, oh, that sounds incredible. Of course, uh, as an attorney himself doing civil rights cases, he is deeply inspired by Thurgood Marshall. So he, anything to do that, he would be in. And he said, and I'm going to be in the movie, too, and I'm playing Z. Alexander Luby. Now, a lot of you say, who is Z. Alexander Luby? Z. Alexander Luby was sort of the Thurgood Marshal of the South. And in fact, they worked together on a bunch of cases. And Thurgood has said if he ever got in legal trouble, he wanted Luby to represent him. And in one case in Columbia, Tennessee, Thurgood ended up in the back of a police car that was driving deep into the woods. Now that's the kind of trip, that's a one-way trip. You don't come out the woods. Luby somehow followed him and got Thurgood out of the car and out of the woods and saved his life. So the idea of having Luby in the movie, 
uh, I thought was really right. Even though maybe five people would know it, it was the right thing to have him have his presence in, on the film. Uh, amazing. Um, and I didn't even know that one little tidbit about him being taken out into the woods. Yeah, no, no. I mean, it, you know, again, like him, like him, just waiting. To, all he he was constantly in danger. Um, but getting back to the Martin family, I mean, obviously they're I mean they're wonderful, wonderful people. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the same time, your heart just aches mm-hmm. when you're around them because you know the loss and the the haunted nature of what it is. And particularly, I mean, for all of us, the entire cast and crew, but particularly for Chadwick, because he, as an actor, had to say to them, I'm going to help save your son. Mm-hmm. And he knew that he couldn't. Mm-hmm. And as a man, that was hard. Mm-hmm. So it just made it very real. Jeez. Oh, well, hats off, Mr. Hudlin. Thank you, sir. Hats off for everything you did. I mean, they give me the wrap-up thing. I can sit here and talk to you forever <laughs> on this subject and many others. But amazing job. I mean, your your cinema skills and your, your craft is still at, at the top level. Um, really quickly before we end this, where do you go from here having done so many things? You, you, you know, produce the Oscars, doing all these different things. Where do you where do you go from here? Where where's the Reginald Hudlin story continuing to? Well, I mean, Look, I've been fortunate enough to do a, a lot of things, right? Write comic books and be a network executive and do all this stuff. And all, I mean, I think, I, you know, if everyone should switch jobs. I just think being on the other side of the desk makes you better. So I feel like I'm a much better filmmaker now than I, than, you know, than I was. And I, I, I keep growing. Uh, but I remember when, we were, when I was a producer on Django Unchained, separately, Quentin kind of pulled me inside. Quit talking about movie. Just go make a movie. Like he was just kind of fed up with me not making a movie. And then there was a time on set when Jamie Foxx kind of pulled an apple box, sat next to me and goes, what are you doing? You know, so uh, I really have to be very thankful to the two of them for kind of making me get back on the horse. And I'm really excited to be, you know, directing again. And I'm, you know, like... I. Ideally, if I could just make three or four movies in a row real quick over the next five years, that's sort of my goal, just to uh, work in as many different... I mean, career-wise, you're not supposed to do that, right? You're supposed to just like do the same thing over and over, and that's been one of my weaknesses that I always wanted to be Howard Hawks, right? I mean, he did Red River, then he goes, his go Friday. And I'm like, oh, I <laughs> And so, like... For me, I'm like, I'm going to do a superhero movie, then I want to do a musical, then I want to do another biopic, then I want to do a... So um, I don't know if that's the right thing to do, but that's what I want to do. And that's what you're going to do. <laughs> ladies, ladies and gentlemen, Director of Marshall, <laughs> Reginald Hudlin. Thanks for listening to another DGA Q&A. Don't forget... You can check out past episodes of The Director's Cut wherever you listen to podcasts. We have a lot more exciting Q&As during the month of November, so be sure to subscribe to our podcast to stay up to date on the great discussions we have coming up. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please like, share, and leave us a review. We'd love to hear your feedback. Thanks again for listening, and have a great week. This podcast is produced by the Directors Guild of America. Music is by Dan Wally.